0: Come on up, and you can have a seat right up here. So, the reason I'm doing this is because this was one of my favorite times of going to church when I was a child. The pastor would always have a special time for the kids to come up and have a special message just for the kids. So that's why I want to do it for you, and maybe it'll make a difference in your life. Do you know what holiday is coming up in two weeks? Easter, Easter, that's right. And what do we celebrate at Easter time? Um, That's right. Three days after Jesus went into the tomb, he rose from the dead, right? And what do we call this time before Easter, do you know? Nope, it's not Christmas. We call it Lent. And Lent is a time for us to think about why did Jesus even have to go to the cross? Do you know why he had to go? For sins, that's right. And do we have sins? Yeah, we do. Even when we do believe in him and we have the power not to sin, sometimes we still sin, don't we? So this Sunday is the fifth Sunday of Lent, and then next Sunday we call Palm Sunday, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week, okay? You can read about it this week if you want to, but we'll talk more about that next week. And that is the beginning of what we call Holy Week. So Holy Week was a pretty intense week leading up to Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And what was really great about Easter was that wasn't the end, right? There was victory over all that, and Jesus rose from the dead, and he defeated death. So we know that we don't ever have to go to the horrible place that's meant for those who sin. Instead, we get to go where? To heaven. Isn't that awesome? What's it? For For eternal life, right? So we start our eternal life right now because Jesus is with us right now. And then, that's awesomely correct. Everywhere we go, Jesus is with us. So with that in mind, let's pray together, okay? So I want you to repeat after me, okay? Are you ready? Let's fold our hands, bow our heads. Thank you, God, for sending your son because we sin. Thank you for sending him to the cross. And thank you for taking care of our sins. Thank you for Jesus. We love you so much. Amen. Thank you. Okay, you can go to Children's Church. All right, so we're in the middle of the sermon series called Rethink Easter. Those kids have the story, right? But we always need to stop and rethink, you know, it was a terrible thing what had to happen for Jesus to have to go to the cross for us. So last week we considered that the world might be in trouble. This week, we're going to see that we might be in trouble. Next week, we're going to talk about God's invitation to the great banquet table. And then the following week is the resurrection of Christ. I've actually started preparing for the Easter message already. um, And I, I wanted to do some research on it. And I found out that back in the day early church life, um, probably not 1st, 2nd, 3rd century, but a little bit later, Easter was the only day of the year that they did baptisms. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Pretty interesting. So all my years of being a pastor, I've never done a baptism on Easter Sunday. But this year, we're going to. We're going to rethink Easter. So... I'm pretty excited about that too for Easter Sunday. Um, the message is going to be tied around. Baptism, of course, is going to be tied around the resurrection of Jesus Christ, of course, and how we are connected with him through baptism. So our anchor verse for this sermon is, starts out hard. You killed the author of life. Peter said that. He said it to the Jews of his day and I think he says it to us today. And then he continues in Acts chapter 3, verse 15. But God, but God raised him from the dead. So today I want us to consider God's wrath um, not only on the world, but how his wrath might also be upon us as we live here in this fifth Sunday of Lent. We're going to consider the trouble that we might be in personally. Um, Last week we looked at Romans chapter 1, the second half. This week we're going to look at Romans chapter 2. So you can go ahead and get your Bibles out if you'd like to follow along in Romans chapter 2. So from last week, our takeaway was the awful realization that we live in a world that has horribly gone wrong. Just in case you happen to crawl out from a rock and you don't know what's going on in the world around. Our world has defiantly turned its back on the Creator in all manner and all wickedness and evil and is now under the just and righteous condemnation of God. The world is in serious trouble. But that's not all. We too might be in serious trouble. In chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, the human writer of Romans, inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit, gave us a picture of the unbelieving world He seems to be speaking directly to the pious Jewish leaders and followers of his day. Those were the religious folks of the day. Can you imagine the murmurs and the approval and the nodding of the head and agreement coming from those Jewish listeners? It's almost as if he was riling them up with that long list of sins at the end of chapter 1. And then Paul seems to turn on them. The scripture basically says in whatever way these Jews were passing condemnation on to others, they were actually condemning themselves. Let's look at Romans chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page one thousand seven hundred and forty-six. You therefore have no excuse, mm. you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you have passed judgment. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience? Not really realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. We might be in trouble. Now we must realize that this scripture text is is not just for the Jews of the day. It's for us to hear as well. We are the religious folks of today. We might say that Romans 2 is for any of us who, for whatever reason, believe that Romans 1 really did not apply to us. Perhaps you thought last week's message about the world's trouble did not apply to you because you, are go- you have good morality. Perhaps it's because of your upbringing and your good family, you know, the leaders in the community. Perhaps you felt like you were exempt because of your church attendance or any other thing that makes you believe that you have an exception from the world's trouble. If we don't feel like the reality of our guilt before God, if we do not realize that our sin Exposes us to the wrath of God, then Romans 2 is addressed to us. And we might be in trouble. Verse 1 For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Let's go on to verses 5 through 11. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence and doing good seek glory, honor, and immorality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. So my first question I want us to consider this morning is, do we count on being a favorite of God's? There are no favorites. God will not show favoritism, it says in verse 11. We see in these verses 5 through 11 when judgment day comes, there will be no partiality. Why is it that we think God plays favorites? Why is it that we think God will show favor upon us? God is a righteous judge, His judgment will be according to the truth. Jesus is truth. What think ye? Of Christ. All the strictness and precision of justice that God will exact over the life of the murderer and the warmonger will be the same strictness and precision that He will exact over your life and my life. Yes, God is rich in kindness and tolerance and patience. The fact that we are alive and breathing today and able to be here today is just evidence of that. But when Judgment Day comes, and it comes time to stand before the throne of heaven, there will be no favors given. There will be no bribes accepted. On that day, God's standard of justice will be crystal clear and those who do not meet it will be sent away into trouble and distress for all eternity. How do we know if we think we deserve favoritism? According to verses 1 and 3 here in chapter 2, we have some guidelines Do you find yourself being judgmental toward others? Being judgmental toward others is a sin. It is not because morality is relative and there is no such thing as good or evil. No. Good and evil are very much objective realities and it's right to recognize evil around us. The sin of judgmentalism is when we pass condemnation onto others. Thinking that we ourselves are not under that same condemnation, like maybe we're favorites. Because maybe God really does have favorites. We've all done it, haven't we? We've all given ourselves a break. A break from our own sin that we are not willing to give others a break on for their sin. If you find yourself being judgmental toward others, the solution is not to try to make sin relative and say, well, my sin wasn't quite as bad. The solution is to stop belittling God's judgment. There are no favorites. God will not show favoritism for God so loved what? The world. Everyone. We need to begin seeing our own sin for what it is. Listen to Jesus' very specific teaching on this from Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. He says this, You hypocrite! First, Take the plank out of your own eye. Then, and only then will you see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Take the plank out of your own eye. Then in fear and trembling and humility, offer yourselves in love to help. To help others deal with their sins as a fellow sinner? Do we count on being a favorite of God's? There are no favorites. So the next question is, how well do we obey? God will judge according to our obedience. Let's look at verses 12 through 16. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not even have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences, also bearing witness and their thoughts, sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God, God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares we might be in trouble because God will judge according to our obedience this is what we see in verse 13 what will be the standard of God's judgment God will give to each person according to what he or she has done Those who persist in doing good will be rewarded with eternal life. What is this good that we are to do? It starts in verse 12. We see that it is obedience to God's law. Obedience to that moral standard that reflects God's holy character. Remember our mission we need to, toward the end of our mission, we need to continue to grow together towards spiritual maturity, to take on the holy character that God has created us for. We need to be careful not to get hung up on the, this discussion of the Old Testament law and thinking that, well, the law no longer applies to us. We were created in God's image. We were made to reflect the character of God by our lives, by the way we live, the way we talk, the way we love, the way we work. We do this by living according to the revelation of the law that God has given us, first in our hearts and consciences, but also in the scriptures. In other words, how we live matters. On Judgment Day, God will judge us according to how we live, whether in obedience to Him or disobedience. Our obedience will reveal the kind of people that we truly are. Do we obey everything Jesus commands? This is also part of the Great Commandment. As much as the Jewish people agreed with this idea For the unbelieving world out there, they failed to apply it to themselves. Rather than seeing the law as something to obey and to order their lives by, so many people saw it as a token of God's favor, a charm of protection and superiority. They placed their confidence in having the law. And even while they disobeyed it, I'm afraid that the church might be doing the same thing today with Jesus. The same thing that the Jews did with the law. We have him and the world does not. Living old missionary church, it is easy for us to shake our heads at this. But this is what our sinful nature does. As evangelicals, we, we put a high priority on the Word of God. We especially need to hear what is written today in Romans chapter 2. We preach God's Word week after week. We hear Bible teaching on the radio and perhaps on your podcast. We read the Bible during our Devo time. Some of us memorize Scripture. We sing or listen to songs with God's Word revealed in them. We study the Bible with others, maybe mentoring or discipling one another in relationship. All these things are good. But, ultimately, the only thing that will matter on Judgment Day is whether you have obeyed what God has commanded so clearly in His Word. What do you think of Jesus? Are you accepting what He did for you and turning from sin? Are you living in obedience to God's Word through the power of the Holy Spirit because of your faith in Jesus? Listen to what Jesus said toward the end of the great commandment. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. and I just feel like it's a verse that so many churches fail to take seriously. Here's what Jesus said, in teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. James, the brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James through the inspired um, Holy Spirit. He says in chapter 2, Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith I have deeds. James says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Do we really know what it means to put our confidence in Jesus and obey. Has your life been changed? Are we doing the good works Jesus empowers us to do through the power of the Holy Spirit? Are we bearing fruit that He produces in us? Are we teaching and obeying His commands? you know, we might stumble at answering these questions. But there will be no wavering when it comes time for God to answer these questions about us. It'll be crystal clear to Him because He knows the thoughts and intents of our hearts. There will be those whose obedience brought honor to Him. And there will be those whose disobedience blasphemed His name. How well do we obey? God will judge according to our obedience. Then the last question I want us to consider is do we count on our religion? I'm going to read the rest of Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You you who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly nor circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. Not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. We might be in trouble because our outward religion is not enough. That is what we see in this discussion here about circumcision at the end of the chapter. One of the easiest and deadliest substitutes for true obedience to God's commands is an outward conformity to a religious standard. It's easy because it, it doesn't require us to deal with our sin. If all we need to do is to be saved, to, or to be saved is by getting circumcised, or maybe to just say a prayer, or walk an aisle, or join a church... No problem. People will be saved all day long. Sign me up, they'll say. Let me go on my merry way and live however I want. Conformance to a religious standard is deadly because outward religion cannot make us right with God. God will not judge us according to any outward conformity or physical act that we've done god will judge us according to our obedience to his word i wonder what our outward, outward religious acts are we depending on if we somehow felt that first chapter of romans did not apply to us what we need to realize is that all the condemnation that we would gladly heap on the world out there, every bit of it applies to each one of us for our sin. Our imaginary favor before God will not save us. Our knowing about God's Word will not save us. We must obey Our wonderful acts of religion will not save us. No. All of these grandiose ideas have been knocked out from under our feet and we are left on the same ground as the rest of humanity. We might be in trouble. The whole world is under the wrath of God. Without Jesus, so Are we? But God. But God gives us the gospel. And this is where the gospel begins by exposing our desperate need before God. If we do not understand our brokenness, we do not have the gospel. We don't need the gospel. All of humanity. Jews, Gentiles, moral and immoral, religious or irreligious, we all stand utterly condemned before God because of our sin. Every human division, every race, every culture, language, wealth, education, or class, all divisions are obliterated by this one massive commonality that we have with everyone, we are all sinners. All of us. We all need to be saved by God, a merciful, graceful God. The gospel is for sinners. Therefore, the church is for sinners. The church isn't here for us to to gather those who who think their lives are all together and those who think they just have no worries in the world. What we have here at Living Hope Missionary Church is the one place on earth specifically designed for sinners of every kind, of every background, and of every record. This is the one place that sinners can be brutally honest about our sinfulness and we can be safe the gospel is for everyone sitting here today right here in this little community that we call Dunfee. i pray for the future of living hope missionary church may this church be a place where sinners can come May this place be a place where testimonies can be shared. Where conversations can occur. Where members humbly confess their weaknesses. Where messy people own their failures. And where reconciliation and healing begins. Because God gives us the gospel of Jesus May this be a place where sinners visit and wonder, can people really do that? Are we allowed to confess our sinfulness here? May people who visit Living Hope Missionary Church find out that, yes, it really is okay. May people experience such openness and honesty about our brokenness really is allowed because that's where the gospel begins. And may people realize that all of it is okay because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Next week is Palm Sunday. Let us prepare our hearts for God's invitation to his great banquet table. Let's bow in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you We thank you for your word and Romans and and the challenge to us in our lives, in our hearts and in our minds. May we seek to follow you through faith, not of works, and help us to love others because you so love the world. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.